For October 3rd, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 744. They say the Rio Grande used to run from east to west. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are, uh, when we're sitting around and, uh, talking with each other about the things that we enjoy, trying to convince each other of the, the importance or the, the, or the relevance or the, the strangeness of something that, that we have experienced. You know, uh, our, our, my teacher, my college teacher, John Hollander, who I, who I know Pete took a class from as well, uh, used to say, um, in, he was, he was advanced in age by the time, by the time we got him. And sometimes it took him a minute to get ideas out because he would pause for like like to really take in a deep deep breath but he used to say you know when uh you say hey this thing isn't that kind of like that other thing as well it's not a very good impression but you know that's what he would say this thing isn't that like this other thing as well that's the beginning that's the beginning of real uh, literary criticism. And so, hey, we are the real literary critics. I'm Matt Rather, and I got with me Mark Lee. How are you, Mark? I am doing great. I'm coming off quite a high, uh, and I'm just riding that wave straight into this podcast. So just get ready. Are you ready for this, Matt? I can't I can't wait, Mark. Uh, can you take me higher? Um, not in that way. No, I will not. Invite, I will not. I'm not going to go down that creed creed path with you, uh-huh. Matt. I got. I got a much. I got. A, I have a, a much more enlightened and better place to take us. Oh well, I can't. Uh, I can't wait. Well, this this podcast that might have multiple multiple surprises in it, multiple reveals as we go. Uh, one having to do with with Mark's topic. Mark, yes. has has your thirst for rock and roll music been slaked of late? Oh, has it been? Has it? Oh, slaked. Is that the word you use, Matt? Yes. Slaked? Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what that word means, but if it means like satisfied and then like completely ran over um, whatever you know, deficit that you needed. No, no, no. It, it, it found a, a need that you didn't know was there and then it just like – uh, satisfied slake that and that uh-huh. just kept slaking and slaking that's uh-huh. that's what that's what i'm talking about here nice Should I just well, do the thing just what did you story? do what did, where, where, where uh, did you I, go i went to madison square garden and saw the killers the rock band from las vegas nevada um kind of the maximalist rock band um who found this height of fame was in the in the mid to late 2000s but of course has you know persisted in, in um with some success uh in the ensuing decades um i saw them in madison square garden um, and you might know me uh, as having once been in a Killers cover band. Well, this, this is, that's not untrue that I was in a Killers cover band, but also not like the most accurate thing to say I was in. I was in a band that played Killers covers. Um, so I am a, a, a uh, you know a more than an average fan of the Killers uh. music. Um, so what I'm actually not here to tell you about is how just how great that concert was and being able to see the Killers live. Um, I got something else for you about it. All right, and I could go on. There's a whole discussion we could have about. Um, how, you know, uh, three years of living in some version of this this uh, championship season and lacking, you know, those kind of great communal experiences of, um, you know, the energy and the sound and the and the vibrations and, and, and the great communal um, unleashing of feeling in a concert. I, I could go on, uh, you know, we could fill, fill a whole hour about that. And it just felt exuberant. The exuberance just, you know, 
um, screaming at the top of your lungs. I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. It was just like it was. Uh, it was it was as great as I thought it was going to be, uh, and, and perhaps even more so. And that was uh, that was the main set, Matt. This is um, uh, th- that's just, this is not actually the main point of the story. As they're wrapping up, Matt. Yep. The thought that occurred to me is like, well, this is New York City. This is Madison Square Garden. This is, you know, the center of the of the cultural world here. No offense at all to I, um, I, Los Angeles, the I, bleeding center, the bleeding edge. I, we do we do um, allow you to think that. Uh, thanks, Matt. Um, and I saw a poster down the hall that said like, oh, Lizzo is 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 the next act over here. It's like, wow, wouldn't that be funny? Um, Madison Square Garden, full of white bros, dropping along to to a Killers concert um, with special guest Lizzo coming on at the as as the. Um, as a special guest, um, and perhaps she might she might bring um, uh, James Madison's crystal flute, or um, I don't know Abraham Lincoln's um, uh, Korg synthesizer, you know something else <laughs> to desecrate, you know to piss off white people. Um, but no, that's not what happened. Um, uh, uh, here's what I thought I heard Brandon Flowers, the front man for the Killers. This is what I thought I heard him say was that. Um, you know, you get really nervous when your mom shows up at work. And that's what I thought I heard. And then it goes, look, the guys here, we're all been sweating bullets because we've got. And then I heard. The boss. What? In what? present. And just like my my, my job drop. Yeah, Pete, I know. Right. What? Pete, Pete's, on, Pete's running for the podcast. What? He, yeah. he, he just showed. Uh-huh. I just heard the voice of Fenzel, like a special guest coming on to the coming on to the show. Gentlemen. Peter Fenzel here to join us in a discussion about how the killers then proceeded to say, ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Springsteen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I know. Bruce Springsteen shows up for the encore. And then and he, he plays, plays and then he plays for six hours. Oh, oh he, he, if he plays for six hours, I would not be here. I would be like, you know, <laughs> in, in, it's like in a, in a, in a puddle, um, still like on the floor of Madison Square Garden, just like dissolved. Um, in the, in the um, overwhelming power of rock and roll. No, he plays Badlands um, and um, uh, the son of Clarence Clemens, uh, the saxophonist, I think is Jake Clemens. Um, anyway, uh, so, uh, you know, the son of Clemens <laughs> comes on as well for the Riffin sax solo. They play a couple other songs, of one of which uh, Dustland uh, actually was a, um, a killer song that uh, Springsteen, they collaborated on it back in 2021. And of course, they end the show with, um, uh, Matt, do you want to hazard a guess what, what the end of the show with? Was it, was it, uh, uh, we hope you've enjoyed being born in the USA. It's good to have you with us, <laughs> even if it's just for a day. <laughs> it was a song oh, about. Man, that would have been good. That would have been good. No, no, it was. Wait, it was, was it the song from Jerry Maguire with the quotes from Jerry Maguire in it? <laughs> it was the wrestler. It just really ended, ended on a down note. No, the played born to run. Oh, amazing. The born to run. I know. Yeah. That's right. That's that's a really good use of the killers. I in in my humble opinion that like that like wall of sound, you know, that whole thing that that's the wall of sound album. And that's like the wall of sound song on the on the wall of sound album. Right. And mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's just, you know, the yeah. killers just crank up to maximum, maximum, <laughs> maximum body count, <laughs> maximum body <laughs> maximum count, yeah, maximum body count of notes. <laughs> and yeah. oh, so was it was it rad? Oh my god! I, I just like I, I just you know the just you know picture you know my 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 face which um, in normal times is you know kind of a resting bee uh, Asian male face but 
Um, you know how exuberant <laughs> it can get. And this was as proud as exuberant as my face has ever gotten. Oh, um, amazing. Kind of, like, I, I, my, my, my jaw is kind of sore today, the day after the concert, um, from a combination of the screaming and also from just, like, hanging loose, like, dropping down to the floor uh-huh. over, over this. That's how, that's how rad it was. That's, a, that's, that's how rad amazing. It was. So, so, so part of this was like, I wanted to be able to tell this and spool this, um, and, and allow you to participate in, uh, you, Matt and Pete, and also the rest of our audience to participate in that wonderful, just joyous reveal. Um, but I also wanted to talk about this like fascinating intersection of Bruce Springsteen and the killers. And like, in particular, like not just like the maximalist wall of sound sound, um, and just like, you know, that very particular style of rock music that is heavy on melody and like, you know, intricate in harmony in like a very specific way, but it's really like the lyrics. Right. And, um, and if I'm kind of, you know, coming down from my high and kind of putting my, less my kind of just, you know, um, uh, uh, exuberance hat and putting off and, and, and putting my overthinking hat back on, um, like we got to talk about the lyrics of these two and right. Because like the, the killers, um, belong to this class of lyric writing that you could, I guess you could trace back, you know, to, to Bob Dylan and then went to, to Bruce Springsteen and traveled through a bunch of other things and wound up in folks like the killers and, uh, the hold steady, right. You know, like, um, very dense, um, lots of specific references. Um, and, uh, by the time you get to something like the killers or, and, or the hold steady, um, really kind of straddle this line between uh, profundity and absurdism <laughs> that when you put the boss up there and then you have, you know, the highways jammed with broken heroes on a last chance overdrive, right? You know, that kind of um, um, uh, uh, maximalist lyric writing from the 70s, like the master of, of it, um, when you put the killers, um, you know, he doesn't look a thing like Jesus, but he talks like a gentleman, um, just like you imagined when you were young, when you put those two things up against each other, did the, did the killers look start to look ridiculous? That's the kind of the first question that I have for you, Matt. Mm. Are the I, kill, are, are the killers bad? Are the, even even are you, are you, you going to kill my high and tell me that the killers are bad? Well, no. I mean, I, look, I, I'm not I'm not here to yuck your yum. That seems like antithetical <laughs> to the whole project of this of this podcast. Uh, I'll tell you, like my knowledge of the killers begins and ends with. Is the record called Sam's Town? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that from like the mid 2000s. And that's like, that's just kind of where, where I start and where I stop with the killers. But I like that. I like that, that, you know, uh, I like that record a lot. I, I think that like that, I don't know. I, Maximalist is is a good word. I really like songs that that are crafted to have the the appearance of being kind of rocks that have been tumbled in the river for millions of years and kind of uh, present themselves to the listener as a thing more found than than made. Um, then again, I I like the Mountain Coats a lot, so maybe I'm just full of it. Uh, <laughs> And, wait, wait. And, do you put do you put the mountain goats in that same kind of category of maximalist lyrics that uh, you know have traveled from Dylan to Springsteen to um, the likes of the Hold Steady? Certainly, and uh, the Killers. Certainly, literary lyrics. You know, certainly, like the every every album, almost every album of the Mountain Goats of the last. Uh, 10 years, right, has been a concept album from the one that was about the early days of professional wrestling to the one that was called Goths, which was about being a goth teenager in Southern California <laughs> to, you know, and, and I, the, to, to the one, uh, called In League with Dragons that was, uh, 
based on a on a half finished fantasy rock opera and heavily influenced by John Darnielle's playing of of Magic the Gathering. Um, right. You know, and that that uh, uh, to songs for Pierre Chauvin, which is uh, you know about the introduction of Christianity to the to the pagans. Um, that's like. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely literary. So I'll, I'll put it though, you know, though it's, it, they started as more a lo-fi sound and now are a kind of like easy listening quartet. Um, the, uh, you know, I don't know the, the, I'd, I'd put the, that particular quality, the, the sort of the, the lyrical thing, but no, I mean, I feel like that that's like, I feel like you can draw a line around that. You can like connect a lot of things when you say like, kind of big ambitious epic scale you know like uh, uh, to a certain extent like meatloaf belongs in that venn diagram do you know what i mean like you the, oh yeah yeah well that, really more specifically like the compositions of jim stein the comp the music and the lyrics of jim stein the lyrics yeah especially and right and the and the music the the kind of the multi um you know yeah we we had a greatest hit station on in the car today and uh Bohemian Rhapsody came on and that, that, you know, that goes maybe into a little more, the kind of the, the middle section of Bohemian Rhapsody goes into a little more of like nonsense stuff, but like, it's all, I, I feel like it's a, it's a tradition of rock and roll and it's one that, that you can, you can be proud of, or at least like hang your hat on, you know, a little bit and, and you don't need to, uh, it, we don't need to worry about, uh, it being, you know, uncool or bad. Yeah, so I'm going to answer a question, obviously. No, I don't think the killers are bad. I just told you earlier how much I love the killers. Mm-hmm. Um, and more specifically, like the, the lyrics, like like the the nonsensicalness of it is kind of both important, and like a feature, and also like not even that important at all. Sure. Let's put it that way, right? So I'm actually going to work backwards with that. Like the, the lyrics being not that – or not as important as um, we're, we kind of started to make them out to be, which I think is a Jordan Stokes um, – really turned me on to this idea that lyrics and pop music are really not meant to be like poetry. You just like look at text on a page and interpret it as that. Mm-hmm. Right. They're working of course in concert with the music. It's like, well, it's like what we talk about movies, right? You know, you can't isolate, you know, sound and picture as uh, sound and picture and acting and, and story and all these things and assume that they all kind of come together. No, they're much more like the, they're much more than the sum of their parts. Same goes with music, right? Music and lyric song, uh, as the, 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 the sonic, uh, instrumental quality things. And there's also like the words that are coming out of singers mouths, right? They're both meant to convey meaning on a very literal surface, uh, level. Um, but they're also meant to just like kind of have interesting sounds, um, that come out of a mouth that have a good interplay with the instrumental sounds that you're hearing and also are memorable. Like the kind of like um, by the time you get to, you know, late stage rock in the in the early 2000s. Right. You know, again, we're going to bring my old drag my old friend peak rock out here. Right. You know, the spring scene in the 70s, you know, really just, uh, you know, mind all the good stuff out. And what you're left from there is um, the need to do put lyrics out there like this um my global positioning system is uh uh is globally addressed the nile used to run from east to west that is an actual lyric i might be misquoting a little bit from from the beginning of it that is an actual lyric from a killer song from the album um, day and age um spaceman uh is the song and that is um you know just looking at the words pretty much nonsense right like I don't think there's anything that profound 
to be gotten from, you know, they say the Nile used to run from east to west, which, by the way, is repeated and like sung in a very earnest way that makes it sound like it ought to be something important. Um, it, it, it's there as an interesting collection of sounds to kind of put out there. Well, it's it was great talking to you on this podcast, Mark, he said, handing the entire rest of the episode over to Pete to explicate that lyric for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I don't understand the particular uh, the particular geographic orientation of the Nile as much as I might if I had had both of my hands free to Google during this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way, if I'm speaking in hushed tones or am not as participatory as usual, it's because I'm holding a sleeping baby in my left arm right now oh, and looking for a way to baby. get over to the pack and play to put her down so that maybe I can unencumberedly Google uh, the orientation of Pangea or whether the Nile was around. <laughs> this was why this is baby's first podcast. And this was why uh, Pete was a little late. We were, we were trying to, uh, we were all uh, banding together to uh, try to get, um, uh, try to get Pete's new baby down. So uh, I mean, I yeah, I appreciate it. The playing the going to that killer's concert where Bruce Springsteen showed up really didn't calm her down very much. She got pretty amped up. <laughs> <laughs> baby's like but, bruce also if, milk if, if i if i may provide maybe a little bit of a different approach that doesn't fully explicate the line um i th- this is a part of rock music that has always bothered me and it's not something with, that i am judgy about it it just feels like in my organic participation as a youngster and the fact that i use the sentence or phrase organic participation as a youngster i never really felt invited (laughs) to this party of people saying things that didn't make any sense even though i did listen to a lot of grunge in the 90s where a lot of people said things that didn't make sense and when i say didn't make sense i think we can say where the what where there you can assume that there's a semantic signification going on. The words are – I wouldn't even say meaning something but referring to something, and it's obscure, right? It's There's there's something that's obscuring a full sense of comprehension of the signification of the words. And with rock music, what – to mind, perhaps because classification is the best substitute for knowledge, uh, I might subdivide it into four different groups of things, and you tell me what you think. The first is, of course, to remember the tradition in rock and roll music of psychedelics and how a psychedelic, you know, affects your thinking. If you think of a human mind as, of course, a a neural network and as creativity, as uh, associative in large respect, then, uh, you know, writing lyrics, poetry, verse, whatever you want to call it. Uh, is going to often involve making connections across different ideas and feelings and notions and, and influences in your own neural network. And so if you jostle that all up with you know a substance that inhibits the operation of your normal neural network, uh, then, then you might end up with things that are unexpected. And merely the fact that they are unexpected is enough to make them an occasion to build art around them because of this idea baked into modern, uh, you know, uh, modern Western music, performing arts, fine arts in general, which is that everything has been done and it's terribly depressing, right? And so like anything that we can do <laughs> that hasn't been done before um, is, is, is really attractive because it stinks to only have to be able to imitate other people. Uh, and so this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm locating it. I'm locating something like the butthole surfers 
which, you know, a very psychedelic group uh, that I that I did listen to to an extent uh, along the lines of like tone row composition in uh, formal I guess you could say classical, but not really classical music, where you're doing it because you're trying to come up with something new. And uh, the old ways of building melodies feel kind of played out. Um, so that's one. And then the others, to go a little speedier, would be um, there's some sort of reference that you are you don't get, that that there needs to be some sort of gloss. There's some sort of additional information that you don't necessarily have just by virtue of being an audience into this song, especially when you consider a lot of these things are played to you know naive audiences that have never heard anything like this before. So maybe there's something that you don't know that if you did know would all of a sudden make it make sense. And I would add to that not just glosses of things like prehistoric geography, but also things like personal details of the lives of the performers. Um, one of the very sort of uh, microcosmic things. And I suppose this would be um, the third one, which is, I think, well, it's a sort of a separate phenomenon, which is the idea that you go to a concert that you've never, you don't heard of the band before. You probably won't understand anything they're saying. Um uh, because there's an, a, 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 um, at least for a lot of bands, because there's a familiarity that you arrive at by listening to songs repeatedly that makes it easier to pick out the words when the deafening uh, overlay of music is over them, which is similar to, well, I know who this person is, and so I know what they're saying in a way that I wouldn't if I didn't. Um, and then I guess the other ones would be that they're trying to defy some mode of poetical and lyrical composition by having, say, like, metaphors that have vehicles but not tenors right or sort of like this is a this is a an ambiguous uh pronoun that doesn't particularly refer to anything specific and by doing so we're problematizing the notion of pronouns right um things like you know absurd well, and you could say absurdity in general would fall into this they're saying yeah. something that doesn't make yeah, sense but so it ahead. also it here, here's a good a good example of this like the last piece there and it ties back to the killers is i think the line are we human or are we dancer Mm-hmm. Uh, I think really like like fits the bill for that last one. Would you agree, Pete? Well, I don't know which one it is. I think part of all of this is that you don't necessarily know which one of these it is. I don't know if they were high when mm-hmm. they wrote it. I don't know whether they are dancers. Like, <laughs> like is one person in the band a dancer and the other one is not a dancer? And this is supposed to be a dialogue between the two of them. Wait, so someone in the band is, is not someone in the band is known to be not a human. Has Brandon Flowers been using advanced AI to write his his music this whole time? Look, I'm a dancer, Mark. Okay, I'm not. I'm a doctor, not a dancer. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I guess that's part of it. Is that you, if you don't know, you don't necessarily know why you don't know. So like, maybe they were high. Maybe it's referring to something specific that we don't have a gloss on. Maybe it's them trying to deliberately play with the idea that you're supposed to expect that this line is going to make sense and you don't. Right? Or maybe it's extemporaneous. Maybe it's just sort of imaginative and. Uh, and there's a, a youthful quality to it because, of course, most of this music is made by young people who are not supposed to be following rules. And so that free association can have its own uh, purpose in that sense. Those would be the four ways I would break it down. And, yeah, I don't know which it is. I don't know. I could. And this is also part of why I think the author is dead is, is such a relevant thing to say, because I don't know why I don't know. And so the only option I have to interpret this is is my interpretation, well, because which is, of you, because you're logical, but because you were a nerdy child. That's Pete. That's why you don't know. You were a, you were well, yes. a, a nerdy child. And now, also, I never followed them. I'm not a killer's <laughs> fan, even though they're great. And I'm sure they were an OC. Were they in the OC at some point i didn't watch the show either but is that the era that we're talking about did they oh, do yeah. promos for battlestar galactica no that's the all-american rejects that did promos <laughs> for battlestar galactica. yeah so pete of the demonstrably false things that you've just said um, okay 
Which is which is the most false thing that they were in the OC? That has cast members. No, I mean where they played which show? Who are the Strokes? Uh, we know well, that the Mountain I, Goats have only one album, but who are the Strokes they're, they're, and what do they have to do with the Killers and the All American Rejects? I mean, it depends, Pete. Do you mean the Strokes of Genius or the Strokes of Luck? You what are you know, talking about, Willis? <laughs> But uh, it's different strokes for different folks, my sir. I'd like to I'd like to focus in on the claims uh, that popular music you can't understand the lyrics, and uh, I mean okay. you know, and popular music is made by young people. Uh, because last night, oh. while, while Mark was enjoying a concert by the Killers, uh, I was enjoying a concert by the country singer Alan Jackson. Um, which we got to, uh, for my, uh, uh we got for my, uh, back on Mother's Day for my soon to be mother in law. Um, the T minus four weeks people. Uh, and, uh, she is, um, a big fan of this, this singer named Alan Jackson, who is a, you know, highly, I don't know, in the, in the, um, world of country music, he is a highly decorated, um, he's, you know, he's gotten the, the yeah. country music hall of fame and has had a whole bunch of number one hits on the, the country chart and, uh, and things like this. He is, uh, um, and the, the occasion, uh, for this tour, this tour is called the last call, um, one, uh, one more for the road or something like that. The occasion for this tour is like breathtakingly sad. Uh, he has for, for, uh, some time suffered from a degenerative neurological disease and oh. it's interfe- it's begun interfering with his ability to do the things you need to do in order to be a, a country music performer. Um, like, you know, stand upright for a, a period of time or, or play guitar or things, things like this. And so he's sort of do, doing this arena tour. And we saw it at, um, uh, in LA, uh, in Anaheim near Disneyland at the Honda Center, formerly the pond, uh, home of the mighty ducks. And, uh, quack, it's, quack. Quack. And it's, it was only, uh, oh, the, only a little smaller than, than, uh, Madison Square Garden. I think it's like 18.5 or something versus like 20K that you can fit into, uh, into the garden. And it was, um, I mean, I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say about about the experience, but he is, you know, a sixty three year old man, and you know, uh, say what you will, I, I could hear every word distinctly, and it's sort of, I mean, it's sort of important because I feel like, you know, I don't know, to me, country music is is singer songwriter music, um, you know, is like like uh, folky uh, storytelling music um, rather than being. Uh, rather than being, I, you know, what I what I would call like a version of art music, like the, you know, the the wall of sound stuff that the that the killers do, or some of the more, you know, some of the more um, uh, obscure lyrics. Though I don't know, like human is is a banger. Like you you, for whatever reason, it's one of those. It's a human is a banger. Like for what, whatever reason, even though it doesn't make any sense, like my sign is vital. My hands are cold. I don't understand what that, like, and I'm on my knees looking for the what contact lens, the, the remote that I dropped under, under the, the couch that that's why you get on your knees looking for something. Oh, looking for the answer. Oh, okay. It's a, uh, 
it's a a it rhymes and b it's a, a spiritual kind of looking oh there's a lot of spiritualism going on there's like some i think brandon's flowers either is or or was mormon um that that's a whole thing in the course are, are we Oofra. human or are we um or are we dancer are we de- denser are we denser are we denser are we- well, I mean, the most extreme situation of like sort of spiritual obscurity to me, and perhaps the least country song that I've listened to uh, a lot of times, I guess while running, would be like, like was it ni- 1945 by Neutral Milk Hotel, where it's like if you know that he thinks that Anne Frank died and was reincarnated, right? And the singer has this like elaborate cosmology that explains like all of the particular indications and they spin out like a Hieronymus Bosch painting. Then the song means one thing to you. And if not, then it means something else. But I guess what I really should have chimed in with was, uh, was more Alan Jackson re- uh, relevant, which is, you know, part of the reason why it's so hard to put babies to sleep is that, you know, you think that their body clock should be at say 10 PM, <laughs> but it's, but it's five o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock yes. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, don't, nice. don't, but, but Pete, don't, I, I urge you as a parent, don't take the advice in that song, uh, to, to pour her something tall and strong. Well, unless it's, you know, unless it's a bottle, the, not a, um, not a, not a pour me yeah. something tall and strong, make it a hurricane before I go insane. Uh, no, that would be, uh, that would, that would not be good. Good parenting whatever whatever time it is in any uh in any time zone um but anyway yeah so i i was in i mean mark you and i were in like different like really different energies of white people huh last night that was uh (laughs) just like because you know do you want to talk about the part of the concert where they started chanting usa usa so okay so, uh, here's I, I don't think anyone in my family listens to this podcast um uh so the the opening act the opening act was um like really a culture warrior uh he was a um a guy named Corey Farley and the the song of his that I was aware of is called "You Can Go Farm Yourself," which is a like a retort to all the the fancified city folks. Uh, he mm. he began it by saying, "You know, man, there was there was a guy, and his name was Mister Bloomberg, and he said America doesn't need any more farmers, and this song is my response to him. And it's about you know, it's about city slickers and and uh, you know how they like don't appreciate the you know good the value the the crucialness to America of the of the American farmer, and it's like, uh, man, oh, is it yeah. in Spanish also?" <laughs> <laughs> no that song that song is called deportees um but the oh, uh did he write that song no it did oh. woody guthrie wrote that wrote the song oh, okay. deportees oh, okay. yeah but um it's so obscure woody guthrie's music is just so hard to understand right because it's, it's so it's so full of full of obscure metaphor that it, a, no it absolutely is you know when he's constantly doing lsd the whole they say the they say the rio grande used to run from east to west <laughs> My land. What if it's your land? What kind of yeah, what kind of William Empson's type of ambiguity is that to say that how can it be both your land and my I, land I sim- know, man. simultaneously? <laughs> right? Because uh, you know, if there's one if there's one thing, the one thing that just, you know, anchors the world of uh the world of, of uh artistic creation, it's private property. 
you know anyway so so he was and and then he gave a sermon about like uh uh, about our great first responders. It, it was not great. And uh, then like unfurled an American flag. That was the first chanting of USA, USA, USA in the night. Mm. So, and, and like he, um, he brought it on and the, the crowd was the, the, the opener did and the, the, the crowd was primed. Um, and Alan Jackson is really an apolitical. He, he came out like just looking every bit like a, uh, you know, a giant white cowboy hat and like, uh, you know, a mustache and just a, a craggy country face and has a, um, his voice, uh, Thank goodness is still everything. And his songs, he has like heartbreak songs, you know, like, uh, and, and like other, other stuff. Like it's, you know, on the boat with my dad type of, uh, uh, type of country music and like really gets into sort of what I like, what I like more in the, the country music that I like, which is the kind of the singer songwritery aspects of it, the aspects of kind of voice of individual voice, um, which is, you know, which is why I'm generally cool with almost all country music through like, through like Waylon Jennings. And it starts to lose me. I don't know. It starts to lose me in the eighties. Um, I'm, I'm a bad historian of it though. So someone could probably like poke, poke all kinds of holes in, in, in my theory or, or what I like. Um, but then like, so then this, uh, this fella, Alan, um, has a song about nine 11. That was like one of his biggest hits. And it was called, uh, where, where were you when the world stopped turning? And he, um, you know, he sang it. Uh, he kind of had to, it's one of his, his biggest hits. Uh, and, and that sort of ends in a very sentimental way. And that started in, you know, with, with USA, 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 the whole, the whole crowd chanting. And I sent you guys a cell phone video of, of, of this. And my, my quip was like, you know, this is, this is some real, this is some real J6 energy. And it, it, I don't know. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't want people to yell at me. Explain on, J6, by the way. What, Janu- what is, January, what is January 6th. The, the oh, attack geez. on oh. the, on the, the attack on the Capitol. I just think it's generally, generally dangerous to get, uh, too many white people together at the same, <laughs> uh, at the same time, you know? Um, but my, my group of my, my large group of white people were singing, I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. So hopefully they were not, you know, planning on, uh, you know, marching and uh, doing soldier like things well you know very, Corey, very tame right like you know. Corey farley has has a you know little clever retort for them which is that they can go farm themselves mm. uh, is this the part where i talk about right. the new show where guy fieri plays pictionary with celebrities <laughs> <laughs> actually no, we, they're not mostly white he's oh. actually very diverse and inclusive in terms of the con- the uh contestants that end up on guy's ultimate game night but uh, but no, I mean. But I feel like he always has been. He works in the restaurant industry. For yeah. goodness. Yeah. Sake. Yeah. Exactly. And that that's I think that is I think uh, important because part of it is I mean just if you're kind of being around, I, it's just the question of are you do you have to endeavor upon some sort of project of exclusion at this day and age in order to be that exclusive? Uh, because yeah, if you're around a bunch of people who are cooking, um, I mean I will say this. Uh, my, I, I listen to a lot of country music um, because it's our main radio station when we drive in the car, and my wife grew up with it. 
And I'm a fan of some of it and not a fan of some of it. And uh, part of what's happened is it's basically just like an sort of alternative music industry where they're doing a lot of the same things that other music industries have done. Uh, you know, it sort of feels like Eurovision because it's like 10 to 15 years behind what everybody else is doing. Um, but there are definitely things that are that are terrible. And then there are things that are just sort of, you know, venial and like not good or bad. And then there are some things that are fun or good. Uh, and because it's pop music, there's few things that are like truly awesome. Um, but I will say that there's one song I hate, a country music song I hate more than any other country music song um, that I've heard on the radio in the past, like, 15 years. And it's the Blake Shelton song, God's Country. Mm. Have I talked about this on the podcast before? I don't think I don't, I don't, th- I don't, I don't think so. It's a it's a really um, sort of both dreary and heavy and almost martial song about uh you know, the sort of cycle of planting and harvesting corn and like dogs running in the mud. And it's sort of all of this sort of very intense imagery about this idyllic. Uh, I wouldn't say idyllic. It's not pastoral because there's no comfort in it. It's all hardness. But it's all of these sort of conventional symbols of like living in a place where there are trees and plants in in the United States. Like there's a dog. There's somebody that has a house and stuff. It's not like uh you know, Zach Brown band with their chicken fried and their warm beer on a Friday night kind of thing. Um, I saw the Lord in the sunrise, you know, on the muddy riverside, uh, holy water with the dogs running. And the thing that really gets me about it is that it speaks about agriculture from the perspective of somebody who, A, left home at 17 to become a professional musician, right? Um, so, like, has no particular stake in agriculture. And then, B, from the perspective of the proprietor of the farm. And I think that's really the thing that gets me about country music that talks about agriculture is it's always from the perspective of the person who owns the farm. Mm. And it's so rare these days that you hear country music from the perspective of somebody who like works agricultural labor. Right. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes you hear a song and you're like, yeah, that guy knows what he's doing. I think there's one new artist. I wish I'd looked him up. If I'd known this was going to come up, I would have looked him up. There's one new artist uh, who was an actual kind of itinerant agricultural laborer for a while. And you get from his songs kind of a sense for his perspective on things. What, one of the Woody important Guthrie? things about it. You mean Woody Guthrie? Yeah. Woody Guthrie? Woody well, Guthrie? Here's one of the things is that like the people who actually worked on farms don't sing about farms. <laughs> No, yeah, exactly. They think about they think about they think about doing literally anything else (laughs) besides farming. Farms being good, they sing about farms being bad because farming sucks. And and I don't mean this in like a way of like it's an overall unpleasant or bad way to live your life. I mean that it breaks your damn heart. Is is my sense from you know Clarkson's farm and related works, which is just that like and or body leads you along, it leads you along, it leads you along, and then it crashes. And yeah. humans are so loss averse, and they go through so much pain when there's loss that being involved in farming is just like you have to be coping with loss in a huge material way, like periodically. Yeah, and, and uh, but, but, the potato, I, I, I know like, we're talking about. I don't interject. I know we're talking about uh, you know, the country music over right now, but also on this topic of agriculture and music, see also large swaths of black blues musicians, right? Who migrated from uh, the rural South uh, into the North and electrified the blues. Uh, yeah, exactly. Beyond. Yeah. It's Sorry. like, yeah, give me a musician who sings, who sings about farming. You're not like BB King. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I want to sing about how we all get to bring the corn in and then go to the bar and have a beer. And it's awesome all the time. And it's like, man, like you Seem to have a must be yeah easy, must be must be nice to have a must be have nice. a yeah have a bar that lets you in the front door. 
I feel like this is going back to the podcast where we talked about how being a shepherd is actually hard. And they talk about <laughs> shepherds being easy. But yeah, like if I'm looking for an in, if I if I feel a register of inauthenticity from these cultural warrior uh, country artists, it tends to be around either a their opinion of virginity, which as basically rock stars, I'm not interested in uh, or B, unless it's very negative, in which case, like, wait 35 years and they'll get to be on Guy Fieri's show where he plays Pictionary with Brett Michaels and whatnot. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm not interested in a rock star's opinion of why you should be a virgin. Um, it's, it's not, it's not a credible source of information on the subject. Um, but also, uh, yeah, when they talk, when people who've never worked on a farm talk about how awesome and unmitigatedly successful it is to be a farmer, strictly from the perspective of the person who owns them, I, I just, I find it, even if, even the degree to which it is authentic seems callous. Um, yeah, I think, and, uh, you know, there's, I mean, there's something to a certain extent, music does this less. I mean, cause music is about binding a, commu- a, a, a group of people together. If you think about like, so probably, you know, probably 60% false, but if you imagine a kind of an etiology of music where it has its roots in shared work and kind of the rhythmic, uh, organization, the kind of call and response antiphonal, uh, stuff, the, like the, you know, speeding up and slowing down of like tasks that you have to do together. Like, I don't know, erecting Stonehenge or, you know, doing, uh, early, construction or something, something like yeah. that. Uh, heave ho, heave ho types, type stuff. If you think of that, then like music is really about the, the immediate, um, is about the kind of the the immediate present. It's a, you know it's funny it's, we were talking with with um I remember uh, it was a, a podcast where Jor- Jordan had joined us and I sort of made the point that like uh the you know something about the I forget what the what the topic was but but something about the the um the move towards uh like hyper individualized filter bubbles of you know custom generated uh content for you does uh really like seem to get at one of the uh, seem to kind of like destroy one of the main benefits of uh in- engaging with with the novel specifically which is that like it puts you in someone else's head uh whether that's like an author or a narrator or a character or some something like that it kind of like you know it it sort of cracks you out of yourself a little bit and puts you in a puts you in a different situation and maybe music is not uh what i'm saying is maybe music is not not best suited to do that but like god you you only have to look like a few meters beyond the boundary of your own brain right to 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 find something that would be uh you know to find something that would that would maybe trouble your perspective that would like unsettle your certainties uh a little bit and like i don't know have we become so have we become so defensive uh as a culture that we um that that like when when we do when we do go to art uh what we want art uh from art is you know i don't know to 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 be like reassured that that our way was the right way all along and that uh if anything is changing it it shouldn't and that we are actually we are we are actually the universe's uh only protagonists you know like we are the we are the only humans and i guess what i'm asking guys is are we human or are we dancer? 
dancing, <laughs> dancing with ideas, dancing with identities, <laughs> dancing in a great, great continuum of togetherness and belonging that, uh, you know, exceeds the individual, exceeds the, the, the primitive nation state and encompasses, uh, all sentient beings. And it's, and it's a great dance. Blake Shelton does have a farm. It's a 1300 acre ranch. He bought like a couple years ago. It still doesn't count. <laughs> but yeah, I, I will also say just, I do want to add just, which is think about Tolkien for a second, right? Tolkien, the hobbits are so happy as farmers and Tolkien's like an Oxford Don who didn't work a farm in his life. Right. But everybody who goes to war is miserable and Tolkien went to war. Right. So you could tell what Tolkien actually knows about based on who's happy or unhappy in his world. Um, is something useful. Wait, that was, you threw that off as a joke, uh, Pete, but like, that's actually a really good, there's a good rule of thumb. There's a really good kind of, you know, Fenzelian maxim for like, for looking, for finding the author's expertise, uh, look in the work at what makes people miserable. And yes. that will. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I totally want to think about that now. What are some examples of like, what makes people miserable who are artists? Um, I mean, I guess with Milton, it's like pamphleteering against the established government. Right. <laughs> Which is his job for a long time in Paradise Lost. <laughs> it's like, uh, right. And then, uh, gosh, what, who is the most miserable yeah, person? No, be, in the because Great all the people the writing the book, what? Cause it's all the, it's all the demons in pandemonium, right? It's all the, the kind of it's Lucifer and all the demons speechifying against the, uh, you know, against the righteous divinity of God in, in Paradise Lost. Um, like also what makes him, what makes him miserable is the, the like, uh, even the slightest implication that someone might have enjoyed sex before the uh, before the fall, or that their or that their enjoyment of that would be anything uh, you know more morally consequential than the enjoyment of like a, a nice breeze or the the warmth of the sun on your face or something like that. That's the other thing that makes him miserable. So apparently, not getting laid is something that Milton was also an expert at. Though he had a lot of daughters, they were his his transcribers, you know. Yeah, well, I don't know how that's relevant. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think the killers are probably, they probably do okay, right? In terms of physical intimacy. And and, and what makes the killer, what makes the killers miserable, Mark? What is it? Is it the, is it the actual killing or is it the, the you know, the remorse that comes after? Mm, I wanted to think, of, I had to get back on that one. So I, like, you know, I, I just, I also will admit that I talked a big game about, you know, being a, a killers fan. Um, and enjoying their music so much, but like you know, I I don't have like the in, the the full encyclopedic knowledge of their of like the lyrical content as I do with something like Springsteen, which we talked about before, right? And you know, I think um, you just have to listen to uh, you know the river and get a sense for what Springsteen thinks makes people miserable, right? Working in the factory, not knocking up your girlfriend, um, general lack of opportunity, um, harmonicas, harmonicas make people sad. That's true. I wanted to mention something. Here's here's just looking at this song about the soul and the soldier. I mean, here here's my initial here's my reaction to it. Obviously, I've heard the song before, but is soul supposed to be a pun for the sun? Like, is it supposed to be not a pun, but like a is it supposed to be a double meaning for the the sun? Because isn't the first verse about being a sun s o n, and then soul is the sun s u n, um, and then is is something like that going on in this song? I'm doing my best to try to figure out what's going on with your music, Mark. It's just very boring. <laughs> the, no, that's like the the 
the star in the sky, like that sun, S U N. Yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah. So that 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 had never that had never occurred to me. Is there room for one more sun? One more sun. If you can hold on, if you can hold on, hold on. So like, okay, there's one more sun. Fair enough. But then it's I've got soul. Okay, that's sort of that seems to answer the question. If the whole question, if the whole song starts with a question, it seems like the song is answering the question in the affirmative. But I, I that that's my gut reaction, having not done a full close reading of it. Right. Like, I don't think this sounds like a song that answers the question with a no. Um, right. I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. You know how to help me out. Don't put me on the back burner. Don't put me on the back burner. Don't put me on the back burner. Ugh, man, when I, I was I was in a band for like a week when I was in eighth grade and it broke my heart because I wrote I tried to write a song and it's had like three lines in a row that started with the same like three words. And and the guy who was in charge of the band, which was just two people, him and me, uh, thought it was like irredeemably terrible and wouldn't let me write the rest of the song. Well, do you remember it? I mean, is it seared into your memory? Can you tell no. us what they were now? No, it isn't. It was a long time. I don't remember. Um, but I even get very far in it. I was we were just scribbling ideas. And he had all these sort of, you know, sort of sprawling, disconnected symbols and obscure lyrics. And I was much more like a. You know, I was a Bon Jovi kid. I wanted to say how I felt as loudly as possible, and like <laughs> as more as straightforwardly as I could. <laughs> like, uh, um, and uh, and the thing that makes me miserable is what, like, uh, um, I guess the thing that makes Bon Jovi most miserable is touring in a rock and roll band, right? Like, that's uh, a lot of songs. Call, calling calling like loved ones from a payphone. That's yeah. a, that's a bummer. That's a big yeah, bummer. Being on the road away from his his high school sweetheart is like the thing that mm. he hates the most. But anyway, yeah, it's like I want to make straightforward, intense statements about how I currently feel in a rock and roll band. And he was very much a singer songwriter type guy who wanted to make kind of uh, ornate, intricate, delicate, vulnerable, obscure uh, allusions to complicated sexual encounters that I had never witnessed any part of in any way. (laughs) So we didn't really make sense as a band. It didn't really it didn't really work. You know, what uh, lyrics are, are, are very, anyway. you know what lyrics are very important in the function of songs, but are rarely ever, like, you know, written down, like, you know, uh, consciously when you're writing out a song or for that matter, like, you know, uh, transcribed into a site like Genius.com. You know what lyrics those are? They're usually ooh and ah. Ooh, ah. Yeah, they count as lyrics. Um, they're, they're, they're sung. They're, they're spoken. They're not not spoken. Um, uh, they're not not words. Um, and they have they're very important functions in songs. Um, I mean, Pete, you know, um, oh, at, at the end of, of the, uh, the Born to Run, right? Where it's just like, whoa, whoa, oh, 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 oh. I will call those. Uh, are they ly- okay? Are they lyrics? Or are they dancer? <laughs> Pete, are Pete? Are those lyrics? They'll those be in the karaoke track, and if you don't know what you're doing, they'll be you'll be really lonely. <laughs> but it just says whoa. Like <laughs> you're just up there being like, I did good, right? I did good, right? <laughs> like, can I go? <laughs> you motion to the to the KJ to just like, you know, cut it off, you know. Yeah. Do, do I mean, you you too is really what tests you in that respect. Whoa. Pearl okay, Jam. I've definitely like, is it 
uh, a lot of the like, oh, 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 you got to do it exactly right to, to hit the nostalgia. For everybody. Mm, mm. And I just well, so that the so that the score on the karaoke machine goes up, you know, as high you know, into the oh, 90s. Yeah. Right. Like you got to get all those all those all those groans. <laughs> I mean, like, actually, Pearl Jam is, you know, is another one. I mean, and Pete, I know you're a you're a Pearl Jam fan. You, when we had a music podcast, you appeared on it as the world's foremost expert on, uh, you know, all jams. I mean, Strawberry, Boysenberry, <laughs> Marionberry, but Pearl Jam, <laughs> Pearl Jam especially. I've backed away from music and focused more on chutneys in the intervening years, but sure. <laughs> But oh, um, man. but that's uh, you know that that like even on their their first record, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff um, there's a lot of stuff on it that doesn't you know hang together. Uh, there's uh, I mean like I've, look, yeah, I'm a but, I'm but, a tw- Eddie, but Eddie Vedder is a hundred percent a gloss guy. Like he is trying to say something specific, and there's usually some sort of key piece of information where if you know it, you at least know where he's coming from on it. I think he's not because he's not psychedelic and he's not I don't think he's deliberately trying to like confound anyone with his form. But he's like surprisingly straightforward at times. It's just like, oh, yeah, I wrote this perspective, this from the perspective of a specific person that I know who's like mentally ill and homeless. Right. And, and I don't tell you that. <laughs> so good luck figuring out what I'm doing. Right. Like uh, which is I think what even flow is about. Right. Is about like schizophrenia. And but for this specific dude. Sorry, I interrupted you. As well, you got to know. I mean, and like down, the, the the relationship between the songs and the lyrics and their music videos also like became really important around about that time because yeah. that was the kind of the ascendancy and you know what maybe like like peak of the of the music video a little bit right as a as a like as a short movie interpretive. Uh, you know, interpretive document that like revealed um, something about the something about the song. Like, uh, you know, in the lyrics of Jeremy, there are uh, there are sort of hints, but um, you know, I don't know. Nobody nobody knew. Like, he he seemed like just such a nice, quiet song uh, <laughs> until you know until the music video came came along, and that was the uh, and that was the the you know title cards over the the opening riff and stuff, and that was the the thing that tipped you off to uh, to what the song was really about. Yeah. I mean, I'm I a, wonder, I'm a Tori I'm a Tori Amos fan, you know, from from way back, and I you know I can tell you that that um um lyrics like Asheray 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 Asheray, and if I lose my Cracker Jacks at the tidal wave, I've got a place in the Pope's rubber robe, don't actually mean anything. They don't mean anything. <laughs> Thank just, you. For, this, that's such a huge relief. They sound so... <laughs> no, there's a... She's, uh, in, in all seriousness, she's a, a, a gloss singer as well. Like, you gotta, you gotta listen to... You gotta, like, know... I don't know what blog to read or something that has an interview that explains the like deeply intricate uh, cosmology behind all of those um, uh, behind all of those things. You know, what's the most gloss song ever? What's that? Maps. Maps, 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 right? Uh Because it's an acronym. Isn't it an acronym like my Angus, please stay. And it's about a breakup and the, the woman is begging the the man who were both in the band, I think, or to not leave her or something along those lines. And you're supposed to know that the the when they're talking about maps, yeah, they're talking about like geographical distance and such, but it's not really about cartography. It's about this like acronym. Uh-huh. And then there are those fake acronym songs like Cream 
you know, cash rules everything around me. If it's a real, if it's a real acronym, they don't tell you what it means in the song because uh, they assume that you know. Otherwise, they would have just spelled it out. If they spell it out, it's a fake acronym. That's a bad rule. I'm going to have to do some more research on that. Um, um, the maps, the maps song is a is a definitely an interesting karaoke choice and and one that is, if you like maps, surprisingly unsatisfying. So I I googled I googled this uh, song maps and I got I got someone singing. It looks like a really tortured singer songwriter singing uh, cartography, topography. <laughs> I'm talking about the yeah yeah yes Geog- geography, <laughs> topography, <laughs> maps. Maps. These are the <laughs> Gall Peters projection. Um, the the uh, yeah the the uh, the the songs. These are the these are the songs. Man, the the it's it, we're we're all our our minds are wiped. Uh, Pete's by by Parenthood having a new child, and Mark and me by having our our brains blown out at a uh, at a you know loud rock and roll concert. Mark, was the sound was the sound deafening? Oh, uh, we had we were in general admission. We were on the floor. Oof. So yes, wow. Yes, do you, that do you roll? Lost. Have you uh, have you cro- you know crossed the threshold to like rolling with earplugs to a rock and roll concert? You know, I fully intended on bringing earplugs uh, to it, and then and then forgot, and then by the time I was um, you know on the way to the the arena, um, I was like, ah, uh, you know, I'm I'm I, I do this so infrequently, I'm just gonna get the entire physical um, experience, which includes the tinnitus after the concert. Yeah. So that's what I did. Yeah, I mean, no you know- regrets. No regrets, because you know who gave me that tinnitus? The boss. The boss. The actual the actual boss. The actual boss, yes. Meanwhile, I'm over here. I was mowing my lawn. I'm like, I wonder if I could get headphones that could noise cancel the lawnmower and also let me listen to a book on tape. Same time. <laughs> <laughs> Living the hardcore life. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, that that has to be, you know. Um, Mark if, was- if you know, come to our Discord at overthinking it and we'll have an invitation on the website come to our discord and tell me what headphones to buy for mowing my lawn was you were you um mark is this your first big concert back yes oh wow. um since uh since so the that's momentous. season has, that's has momentous. started to wind down yeah i i went to two broadway shows and those were like you know like you know momentous cathartic um experiences of um you know taking in culture with my fellow human beings uh, and my fellow dancers as well. Beanie Feldstein's short run in, in Hello, Dolly. Uh, no, you're talking about the funny girl, uh, but no, oh, that, was not, that was not one of them. No, it was um, uh, the music man, which you talked about on this podcast and also company, which we did not talk about this podcast, which was, was freaking amazing. The, Oh, one of the, one of the new companies with, um, with a woman playing Bobby, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 They, they gender. Yeah, I would recommend it, but that that show is closed. So, um, sorry, folks. It's like, uh, you know, it's like Sondheim. You know, I I I don't know what half the lyrics mean, and I can't I can't understand <laughs> I can't understand the words, and it's all made by young people. So, uh, you know, I find it alienating and confounding. But it feels like being alive, Matt. Being alive. <laughs> no. Um, I I don't know, Pete. I I had a different take on soul, but I'm not a soldier, and it's the it's the kind of the poetry the poetry take about like if two things sound alike, they if two sounds are the same, then the meanings should be the same. 
right? Yeah. And the yep. sounds the the sounds are the same, but the 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 meanings aren't aren't the same. And that's one of those observations that, like, you know, every generation of it will every generation will like re rediscover that and kind of republish their own uh, particular uh, particular version of that um, from you know from like. Uh, I don't know when to this, I, I sigh the lack of many a thing I sought, you know, to, uh, to, I guess I've got soul, but I'm not a, I'm not a soldier. Um, but that, uh, you know, we're going to put a, we're going to put a playlist of all, uh, all kinds of songs in the, the show notes for this, this particular, this particular episode. And it's good that we're getting back out there in the world. I think like, it's it's good that you know the the world is affording us sort of safer means to go and and um and I don't know, part, partake in, in things like this because even even though I was I was at times frightened <laughs> when I was uh, at a at a big commercial country concert I was uh, you know I don't know it was it was there was an energy to it that's that's sort of sort of undeniable you know and when they handed out our armbands on the way out no I'm kidding about that. Um, Hey, let's uh let's leave it there. It's been an interesting, interesting conversation, though, <laughs> if a sort of uh if a sort of disorganized one. But I think that in that in that mess, you know, you don't know what the words actually mean, but they add up to they add up to something profound, you know? Yeah. Make you feel something, man. Well, I mean man. I, I think that's not uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I've I've a little more time uh, for that argument than I did when I was uh, when I was younger, and I thought it all had to like add up like some sort of al- algebra equation. We'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the human and the dancer to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't. doesn't. Deserve. I had a moment of like a panic there. Was I supposed to say they probably don't deserve? Or it probably doesn't deserve, or we probably don't deserve. This is my probably doesn't deserve. This is your probably doesn't deserve. From the Redwood Forest. <laughs> <laughs> it took, it took, a took a little while.